Federico, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me today. Before we dive into AVMAS, tell us a little bit about your journey. How'd you get here? Um, so I studied in uh, computer science and industrial engineering in Chile. I did a semester abroad at UC Berkeley, where I joined this student organization called Blockchain at Berkeley, and that's where my journey on the blockchain ecosystem, but also in the open source ecosystem started. After I graduated, I started working on numerous open source projects like Tendermint, Cosmos SDK, which powers uh, many of the projects that you can see out there, like Binance, Terra, and, and the entire Cosmos ecosystem. And now Evmos, which is a project I'm, I'm building. Awesome. So the, the topic of today's podcast is how we can use DAOs to perhaps provide an alternate funding mechanism and organizational mechanism for open source projects. But before we get into that topic, some of our listeners might not know what a DAO is. Can you help give a baseline sort of definition? For sure. A DAO stands for uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It's basically, think of it as a, like a cooperative or any association of different accounts that live on the blockchain or and through go different governance mechanisms are able to decide on certain like outcomes or, or vote on certain proposals that the DAO has. They also have like a common shared address where they can for example, hold their accounts and the, their tokens so they, they can spend on different initiatives. So that's that's how you can more or less create these sort of organ decentralized autonomous organization to eventually fund the different public goods and base layer infrastructure that you're providing through open source. Uh, one of the founders of a, a DAO called Friends with Benefits has described the DAO as a Discord group with a crypto wallet. Is that in, is that inaccurate? In, in in some way, that's accurate. In a way that the, the crypto wallet is here, where the, the important the important component, where every member of this organization has some shares, so to say, and some mem like so that they can belong in this um, organization. So yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Where every member of the Discord has some share in the organization. You know, in a, a traditional company, let's say, that most of our listeners are familiar with, you issue stock to team members. That stock is normally issued in the form of options. And those options, even when exercised, are subject normally to a fairly restrictive stockholder agreement. So in this case, it sounds like you're saying that the sort of members of the team, instead of being issued stock are going to be issued a token specific to this project. And how are what are the ways that that a such a token would differ from a traditional options or or a corporate equity grant? The main difference here between a token and a share on a company is the, the immediate access to liquidity. Really when you have options for a company that is not publicly listed or is not currently raising a fund uh, like a funding round, it's really hard to get liquidity for those options once they're exercised. So you actually have, with with tokens, you actually have the opposite, where when your tokens are vested, you can start selling them in the open market. I would say that's the main difference. And on top of that, the tokens can also have certain 
behavior, like for example, you can create uh, tokens that are bested over a certain period of time, or like some, some tokens that are locked uh, for like one years, like trying to simulate like the one year cliff that you usually have with options and so on and so forth. So it's actually trying to replicate the same the same behavior that you have right now with options, but on a decentralized way and actually having those tokens be liquid. If you get tokens in a DAO, these tokens aren't necessarily going to be listed on a public exchange. So how exactly would owners of the project tokens get liquidity? So for example, like either you issue like these tokens individually to each of the members of the team so that they can like have different vesting schemes or vesting schedules. So if a, like an individual joins a company or like an organization at a given time, you can issue these vesting schedules over time that is publicly available on the blockchain. And you can see the account that says the tokens are being vested over like four years or one year. And then you can also like create this like clawback for each of the tokens. That's when you like issue individually to each member. And you can also create, as you mentioned, like a DAO that is governed by certain, certain rules where all the shareholders vote to distribute the proceeds uh, or these tokens that the DAO account controls to the different members according to like the different shares they have. So that's like the two ways that you can fund this is either like issue the vesting schedule individually or the tokens individually or the other option is like have this common wallet where you create like different ballots or proposal where which are voted by each of the members. Maybe I'm not understanding uh, if I got to pay rent or buy milk, you know, how do I sell my project token into something that's liquid like like Ethereum or Bitcoin? You can do that by issuing the tokens that are native from these certain project and usually they're publicly traded on decentralized exchanges or centralized exchanges like coinbase or binance etc so you can like actually swap the tokens that you're having if they're listed and then like thus bring in some liquidity so that you can trade the token against like another known cryptocurrency like bitcoin or ethereum so so what you're saying is is that you could sort of build into these i'm sorry project tokens an automatic conversion feature into something that's liquid. Yeah, usually the, the the project doesn't need to be necessarily the one that is providing these like exchange on on a decentralized way, but usually rely on other projects that are fully interoperable. If you're building a specific application, your application can connect to another smart contract that provides this functionality for another digital assets like Bitcoin or Ethereum, and then you can use that and trade them to fiat, for example. I see. So you're saying that there's already a generalized token, so you don't issue a specific token for your project, but maybe you use a platform that gives you a token that already has the properties. What are some of the platforms that are out there that could do this? Just maybe a couple of examples. Uh, on Ethereum, the most notable ones are probably Uniswap. You also can find some of the others that are targeting other types. But yeah, like the main one is definitely Uniswap, I would say, on Ethereum. On Cosmos, you can find, for example, Osmosis, um, which is another platform that supports this. You mentioned that in a DAO, 
you can implement different rules depending upon the specific you know goals of your of your project. I think of that as as the governance of the project. It seems to me like it's somewhat challenging to set up the governance of the project. Where do you start that process? And you know, while there's governance frameworks that exist for Discord group participation, are there templates out there or playbooks for open source projects? And um, it seems like sort of a difficult problem. And, and where do you start and, and how, do you, how do you define these rules? This is a great question. They, in general, where you can find the different governance protocols that are used in these different DAOs. So you can have different types of boats and you can have different type of proposals that you can submit. One is, for example, you can signal certain changes to your community like signals certain changes that you want to introduce to your community or how strongly do your, your community feels about certain topic. And those are like just, for example, oh, do you support us doing this? And that is actually not carrying weight on the blockchain itself. But for example, you can also build some type of proposals that are voted on by every member. You can use to distribute the tokens from these DAO or from other community allocated tokens in order to fund public goods like open source or other contributions from other external contributors, which has already, for example, like my company was funded through these sort of like community allocated grant through this governance mechanism. So there are like multiple types of proposals that the community can vote already, and you can find them on Cosmos, which is a blockchain ecosystem we're in. And on Ethereum, there are already some smart contracts that support this functionality as well for DAOs. So, but digging into it a, a little more um, specifically, when you define the governance, are we talking about smart contracts? Are we talking about legal documents? Are we talking about English explanation of like what the rules are for this DAO or, or all of the above? It's usually in the set of code and... So like it's a, it's a smart contract, you would say. And then you also find another sort of like blockchains that are um, that also support governance in the code itself. So for example, uh, you would submit a transaction with this proposal saying, I want to fund this team to execute on like four different milestones over one year. And then this proposal gets voted by the entire community. And once once the proposal passes, the automatically, um, because it's on the blockchain, the, the governance logic is on the blockchain, it automatically funds the team that was allocated the grant, for example, to complete on these different milestones. Um, so you you allocate it automatically, so to say, when you when the proposal passes. It sounds like you're saying that the measure of work that we're going to compensate in the smart contracts for is a milestone. But when I look at an open source ecosystem, what I see is that, you know, people tend to think about the developers, but we also have code reviewers and people who do QA and write documentation and, you know, Kubernetes helm charts and, you know, triage issues and do outreach. So, you know, I collectively call all of these contributors like the open source creators. If you're going to do one big grant for 
a, let's say for a milestone, how do you decide who gets what and how do you make it fair? Yeah, this is, this is a great topic that is, I think, very challenging because like there's always, there's always someone that needs to be like continuously monitoring like, like the milestones and whatnot. And then like there's also like visibility of these different grants programs. Like some of these open source creators, as you mentioned, like never, like maybe never heard of these way of funding their, their, uh, their development. Usually there's like, sometimes there, there could be like one single developer that is creating one single library that is like the backbone of these like other different projects. Usually right now when it's, how it's being implemented, there is this like committee that receives. So instead of like distributing the funds directly to the, the grant recipient, you distribute it to a committee that is composed by two external parties that are reviewing the DC default milestones that gets approved. And then you also have one member of the team that is receiving the grant. So, so for example, like two out of three of these members of the committee uh, can like distribute the funds. So it's like more of like a reputation based where like these other members of the of the committee can send the tokens to the grant recipients. You mentioned that there was a committee that decides how to compensate the team members. I know I've heard of some other DAOs that use something like, let's say, how many Discord messages you post equates to how many tokens you receive as compensation, or perhaps how many GitHub issues you complete, or how many hours you work. So is there any way, instead of using a committee, that you can build some other more intrinsically valuable mechanism to track the contribution of the participant? Yeah, so for example, one way that we've dealt with this problem is by creating what we call a decentralized app store model. It's basically a marketplace where developers publish their applications and then users by interacting with them have to pay a transaction fee and developers pay, like get 50% of this transaction fee for every transaction. So in the long term, it's creating a sustainable funding mechanism for them where like your application is more popular and it's used by more users, they will pay 50% of those fees to your development team. And that's how we're trying to get all these projects funded is by actually having like a way for them to get the proceeds from the users that are interacting with the blockchain. That's interesting because you answered my question in a different way than I anticipated, <laughs> but um, which, which brings me into an area that I was going, which is, of course, everyone wants to get paid. You know, I think of that as the left side of the equation, developers or other creators or community members getting paid tokens. But on the right side of the equation, we need to actually have people giving money, you know, whether that's fiat or crypto or something, the value has to flow into this ecosystem. So the model that you mentioned is interesting, where you're saying that perhaps the people who pay for the code, a portion of that code goes to the creators in, in the community. And by the way, I think you still have the problem of how to split that value between these very different creators. But tell me, well, maybe let's go in that direction and say, besides this model you've thought of, 
What are some of the other models? Why would companies or people want to fund a DAO? In the traditional corporate startup world, we find angel investors or venture capitalists or strategic partners to put money into our company. When we're starting a DAO, what's the equivalent of that? I think it's all changing the model from value capture to value creation. A lot of these open source creators actually need funding to finance the engineers and the day-to-day operations of their project. The main thing that you can do that is by creating these sort of DAOs that fund these public goods, so to say. Sorry. Um, Yeah. That's why you can fund these public goods and DAOs to fund these like open source contributors. So before I can sell my product, I have to build it. It's hard writing software, you know that. And sometimes it takes longer than we think to write this. And and, um, so... A bootstrap model where we're directing funds from, you know, from the output of the software back to developers is great, but only after the product is done and shipped and and people are paying for it because it's valuable. But what about before that? Or how how do you get it started, I guess? We, for example, our company got funded through this mechanism. We didn't have any investors, prior investors, before we created our project. So we requested through a governance proposal to the community of another blockchain, which is the Cosmos Hub. We requested funding to basically fund our entire team for a year. And that helped us like bootstrap all the necessary funding to create the company, to hire engineers, to basically ship the code that we were uh, meant to uh, deliver with this proposal. Was this a one-off where there was something very specific to Cosmos Hub? Or is there a playbook here for other open source projects? How would that playbook differ? Yeah, so the, in this case was something like specific to the ecosystem itself because our project was going to attract a lot of developers from the Ethereum ecosystem that already knew how to build smart contracts. But if you try to extend this to, to a more general case, not necessarily funding blockchains or decentralized applications, You can also find different DAOs that can provide this funding in exchange for, I don't know, like shares. Because like sometimes the main struggle right now of all these projects, uh, open source projects, is actually how to get funding. Some of them don't necessarily have a business model, but they're providing this utility that serves, that is, as I mentioned before, it's like the base layer so many other projects rely on. Like I think that through DAOs, uh, you can actually create a lot of funding opportunities for all these different open source projects that can have like a potential impact, not only in blockchain, but in the entire like open source ecosystem. So there's a number of platforms out there for DAOs. The ones that I'm thinking of are mostly built on the Ethereum blockchain. So things like um, you might have heard of Aragon or Utopia or Syndicate or XDAO or Colony or DAOStack or SubDAO. There's a bunch of these frameworks or platforms for creating a DAO because to create the technical infrastructure for DAOs, for example, the voting or the treasury function takes quite a bit of work and knowledge about how to build smart contracts and, and how, to, how to build this infrastructure. Tell us a little bit about how you built Evmos. Did you use one of these platforms or did you build your own platform? And what are your thoughts about some of these platforms for 
open source projects, maybe more quickly create a DAO to incentivize their creators? I'm going to reply first of how we build Evmos. And we use a framework for building blockchain because our project is, is a blockchain that's provides a base layer infrastructure for smart contracts that are fully interoperable with the other ecosystems. So we're expanding on like, for example, in our case, like smart contract interoperability. So the, the framework that we use is not necessarily meant for DAOs, but to create your own blockchain. And so like for DAOs or like these open source funding communities that want to be created through different DAOs, I think like Aragon provides like a great framework for you to like one-click deploy a, a DAO in order to create your community. It sounds like you're saying that using a framework is a good idea, but you didn't go that direction because you're blockchain experts. Is that a fair reading? Yeah, exactly. We've been working on, on blockchains for the past five years or so. But if other communities that are maybe not as familiar with blockchain want to create this, the way to go is using one of these frameworks to build different decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs that provide different options for you, like different voting rights, different thresholds for voting, or how much quorum do you need to get your different proposals that you have within your DAO. Yeah, different voting types and proposal types. You can even have like different thresholds, so to say, to send funds from the from the DAO out to other wallets and to fund the, the development. Um, so yeah, I think these these are very flexible. These new DAO tools are very flexible for you to like, create your own value proposition. So we're in early days of DAOs and it, it seems like even if a project decides to use this approach, they're probably not going to get it right the first time. How do you make your DAO flexible enough or do you maybe give it like an uh, an end life and say, well, this is what we're going to do for a year, and then maybe we'll start a new one based on that experience? What's your advice on as this technology adapts uh, and we're learning so much, how do you do something today and not totally regret it like in a couple of months that you should have done this thing or that thing? The beauty of these tools is that actually you can like add more functionality as you go. I think they're very flexible in terms of like, oh, you misconfigure something and you, or you gonna you want to add new functionality and these tools allow you to do so. Right, but there's tools and rules. And when you set up the governance for the project, you're setting the rules for, the, for your ecosystem. If you change the goalposts, your team might not be so happy. So what, do you, what are the strategies for sort of on the governance side for acknowledging that things are changing and you might need to make changes. Yeah, I think like involving your community that is part of the DAO is the first step. Because like trying to push for these changes in an, a unilateral way is is more complicated in the long run because you would be seeing us, as I mentioned before, like value extracting than value creation. Yeah, than creating value for the entire community. So I think like involving your community members is the first step to try to do so and try to get feedback from them and sort of like, um, how do you feel, like if you feel strongly about a certain rule to be implemented or completely crossing out an existing rule that can be eventually updated or even deleted from your 
say constitution of the of this DAO, involving the community on like what decisions you should take and how strongly they feel about it. And I think it's like the first step that you need to take. In Friends with Benefits, um, I heard them talking about seasons, season one, season two. So does it make sense to sort of like have a contract with your community that says, okay, these rules are temporarily fixed and we will revisit them at a certain point? Yeah, I think of seasons more of like periods in different governments um, that we have today. So like you have you have the president uh, that is only for like one period or one season in this case. And then you have like you can go for re-election or you can in this case, if you were trying to compare this with the, with the season of this DAO, it's like, oh, do we want to extend this existing rules for another period and then revisit at the end of the period? Or do we want to change them completely? Or do we want to change a few of them? Um, I think it makes sense to like have like a certain period where you say like, okay, we're going to take a step back and revisit like all the things that we made during this period, uh, see how we can improve them over time. If we made any mistakes, how we can compensate for them and like try to revisit all the changes that need to be uh, implemented for our community to be uh, happy and engaged and incentivized in the long run. I was just at a conference and I heard somebody say that companies, traditional like companies, let's say, are still afraid of blockchain. You know, they might say that they're interested, um, they want to research, but ultimately they're afraid of blockchain. But have you seen any evidence from companies or do you think it's fair to say that companies are still terrified or just don't understand this whole space? I think that like expanding this to companies as well is also very beneficial for the entire ecosystem of open source. Like using blockchain to like as an alternative source of funding for the companies that already provide regular payments or subscriptions to like these foundations to, in order to build support. I would say the main challenge here is like once you have enough builders or enough companies or enough projects like subscribing to these DAOs that provide funding for for open source projects, is how do you actually distribute those funds, and how then you find how do you prioritize different like support, so to say, for features that some company w- might prefer to include for their own benefit versus others that is also providing that. Uh, I think that's one of the main challenges. And and for example, GitHub is already doing that through like different like sponsor tiers, where some like the the higher amount tiers usually have prioritized supports and features. Uh, and I think that could be built in a in a DAO, for example, so that you can have like prioritized support from the open source team to your specific uh, company. Uh, and I think if if that were to be built in a blockchain, that will create like more funding and more, I would say, openness also for companies to adopt this. When we're just in the crypto world and we're talking about a crypto wallet and smart contracts. We don't need any lawyers because well, this is you know completely unregulated world. But when we connect to the real world, especially if we're going to engage companies, we're going to need actually some type of like legal entity, perhaps, 
and perhaps we're going to need to get lawyer, the lawyers involved. You know, I, I've heard finding lawyers who understand this decentralized token-based crypto world is difficult. Are we making inroads in this area? And at what point do you think that maybe you need to get a lawyer to look at whether your project's use of this new incentive model might need some real-world legal guardrails? I think the main safeguard towards say, like preventing these sort of like extraction of value from these open source projects is creating the right licenses. I would say like open source licenses can also like with the help of lawyers that understand open source licenses can already create some sort of like defense mechanism for you to prevent these cases. And and I, and I think like there's already projects in the blockchain ecosystem that have created their own license preventing others from just like extracting the value that they've created through this open source code and then like framing them as it was theirs since so to say they want to still be open source but at the same time like they want some retribution or they want some like external support so licenses getting a lawyer that understands licensing it's like one of the first things um if you're building an open source project for for the DAO day-to-day operations, he probably won't need a lawyer to like work necessarily on on many of the cases because it's like the smart contract itself. You can say that, for example, the smart contract would govern your the rules or your constitution of the DAO, but not necessarily have someone like enforce certain contracts directly with each of the members of the DAO because it's all decentralized, all governed by code. I think this is the longest discussion we've had about uh, underlying technology on these podcasts ever. So I want to like finish the podcast with talking a little bit about Evmos. So you've put this playbook into action and where are you now and how is it going? It's going great. So like, as I mentioned before, we got this project fully funded through the open source community of the Cosmos Hub because Evmos was meant to build the base layer infrastructure is fully open source and we build up library that allows other communities or other teams to build smart contract support for their applications. So we built this with a community grant and we finally launched on two days ago on Wednesday, the 27th of April. Yeah, it's going well, very smooth uh, after having a few hiccups in the past. And now like everything is running super smooth and hopefully in the next few months, we can focus on smart contract interoperability. And of course, this will be fully open source for the rest of the teams to, to benefit because like all the other projects in the ecosystem will be able to connect and interact with smart contracts so that you can have previously your DAO to create these sort of different sources of funding was isolated in only a single blockchain by now with the infrastructure that we're providing that is again open source you'll be able to connect these DAOs with other blockchains and other applications out there the economic model that you described earlier where value is flowing back to developers have developers gotten any tokens yet from adoption the Dobster model is it's basically a marketplace between developers and users. In our launch two days ago, we introduced uh, incentives for users that interact with the smart contracts. And in the next release, which is going to probably be in, in two or three weeks from now, we're going to introduce the fee model that is basically sharing the proceeds from the transaction fees with the developers. That is already fully implemented. We're currently running on some internal tests and QA process, and it's going to hopefully be shipped really soon. Did you have to um, educate your team about this new model 
Did you have any formalized education or they were mostly blockchain gurus and they understood all this right away? It's a complete novel way because it's, it's never been introduced before in the entire ecosystem. Uh, usually the proceeds don't go to developers, even that you are interacting with their applications and their smart contracts. The proceeds were usually going to the miners that were securing, securing the blockchain. So we had to create an internal specification, an internal memo, an architecture decision record from an engineering point of view. And then like finally create like a blog post meant for the general audience about this token model for how to incentivize developers and how to incentivize users through this new model that is completely uh, innovative in the space. Would you say that that blog post has enough detail to serve as a real playbook or template for other open source projects to replicate what you need to do? Yeah, so if you go to admos.blog, you can find the blog post about the token model and how these fees mechanism works to share the transaction fees. And if you go to our documentation under evmos.dev, you can also find the technical specification of how to implement this and how this works at a technical level and the different concept it has. So that as a as an engineer, you can also learn more about like how it works under the hood. Is the governance also defined somewhere where, where people can say, you know, what are the rules that they set up for for Evmos? And maybe I can adopt that for my ecosystem. Yeah. So we share the same rules as the entire Cosmos blockchain ecosystem. And you can also find some documentation guides and, and FAQs also in our documentation if you go to evmos.dev about how governance works how voting, how the, the voting procedure works, what are the different like governance proposals, etc. Cosmos versus Ethereum. Why did you choose? Why Cosmos? So Cosmos first is a for, fully sovereign and interoperable ecosystem of applications. So instead of having to share the same blockchain space as you find on Ethereum, you can sort of like create your smart contracts and, and they can interact with them, but they're isolated in the same machine. And what you want sometimes as, a, as an application developer is to have your own community, is to have your own ecosystem. But you want that ecosystem to also talk to other blockchains or to other applications so that you can like connect and, and create value and create different sort of like uh, use cases that weren't possible before. So Cosmos allows you to basically create these applications that are fully sovereign in the way, in the sense that they have their own voting mechanism for their own community, but they're at the same time fully interoperable with other blockchains in the space. So a lot of people talk about like the properties of blockchains, like decentralized, fast, and sometimes they're involved also compromises. You know, when you get one thing, you have to give up another. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what what are the compromises that you make on Cosmos, would you say? Yeah, so the main thing is composability, which we solved now with Evmos that we launched two days ago. Uh, so composability stands of like you, someone else builds an application and for you, you have all the base layer infrastructure and you want to deploy just your application. You don't want to deploy like a full blockchain which you need to build like, I don't know, like a business development team. You need to build like uh, miners to run on your on your uh, 
blockchain. You also need to create like a marketing team and all that stuff. Uh, maybe you just want to deploy your application and see if the if the other users interact with it. You want these application to also interact with other applications. So that I think that's a main trade-off on Cosmos. You didn't have bef- before Atmos. You didn't have that functionality to deploy applications that were interacting with each other. And then the other thing is developer mindshare. I think a lot of developers go to Ethereum, even though their their transaction fees are higher and they don't have fully interoperability solutions or sovereign solutions like Evmos has. So like they have like way more developers, for example, than that you could find on Cosmos. Awesome. So this has been a really great conversation. I, I know we're a little bit over on time, and I think it's such a deep topic. Um, before maybe to wrap up, can can you just maybe if you have some final advice for open source founders or entrepreneurs out there, what would that be? Yeah. So the first thing is to look for different alternatives out there. They're not super familiar with other with any specific project that is funding this, but I think like funding this through a DAO, if you're a small developer, you can easily get like a grant on all these communities to create base layer infrastructure or applications or libraries that can help these different blockchains. And I'm also uh, available on Twitter for you to like DM me and we can talk about your your specific needs. You can find me on F.E. Kunzi on Twitter. Federico, this has been really fascinating. Thank you for answering a lot of my very basic questions and being so patient. And best of luck with Evmos. And it sounds like you're doing really great work. So thank you again. Thank you, Mike. It was super interesting. That's it. Special thanks to the Evmos team for helping us schedule and promote this episode. Cool graphics from Kamal Bhattacharji, music from Broke for Free, Chris Zabriskie, and Lee Rosevier. Watch your feed for more episodes. We'll probably resume next year. I have a list of companies and leaders that I'd like to interview. I wanted to get this one out as soon as possible because the business model is so innovative. Thanks for listening, and please reach out to me via the website if you have any ideas for the show.